0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause.
0: That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask
1: the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves.
0: So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we chat with Rachel Larson, who has experienced firsthand what it's like to slip through the cracks of the medical industry and through her own experiences, built her career as a naturopath, nutritionist and qualified SIBO practitioner she will discuss how different aspects of the digestive system can affect our bodies in various ways, from skin issues to hormones, and provide tips on taking the first steps towards identifying why we don't feel 100%. But first, Clara, I want to talk about my dog. I love dogs. I know you have a dog. I'm on
1: board. Yeah, I love dogs.
0: Yes, we're both dog people. But recently, I found out that dogs aren't only good for your mental health but they're actually good for your physical health in particular your gut health so your gut health is linked to every area of your body which we know to your brain to your skin to your hormones it's so crucial to have a good amount of bacteria in there because when you don't the bad bacteria will thrive and in a study i read recently and i'm going to be honest The reason I read this study is because I'm trying to convince my boyfriend to get us another dog. (laughs) (laughs) In this study, they tested stool samples of people with pets and people without pets, and they found that the people with pets had better good microbiome and yeah. they also had, because they are exposed to animals, they had a decreased rate of allergies and a reduced risk of metabolic disease. So I think this is bloody fantastic and a good good reason to get another dog. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I okay. look, I think, I mean, as you said, dogs for mental health, etc., are fantastic anyway. Being able to get out, go for a walk, all of that kind of stuff, like just the incidental stuff that you do with the dog. Plus, you know they make you happy, right? Like There is definitely an increased mental health aspect. But I do find it really interesting about the gut microbiome. So I have a confession to make, Grace. I have a bit of a fascination around some of the mental health stuff to do with gut biomes. I wasn't sure where you were going with this. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been reading up on studies and this has been for years now. And obviously we're about to do a gut health program as well. So you know, right at the moment, everything IQS world is totally around gut health changes so that it obviously helps with your mental health, you know, sleep, it helps with um, skin. It help, There's just so many benefits to um, improving your gut health. But some of the studies that I've been following, and I, I sound like a, a couch psychologist. I did, I did a psychology degree for about two semesters um, way back, like about 10 years ago, but I was working full time and then I realised it was going to take me a very long time to finish. It's like, it's ridiculous how long it takes to become a psychologist and when I was doing it part-time, I think it was, I worked out it was going to take me like 20 years or something. So I ended up (laughs) having to give it up and it was just purely for the love of, you know, psychology. Yeah. And so anyway, one of the studies that I've been following is that they have been doing um, faecal transfers so that from a healthy patient, so a patient who has no mental health issues, who is very stable, into patients with quite severe mental health issues. So, you know, bipolar is one of them, schizophrenia, etc. And the reports of the changes in these mental health um, patients is just incredible. So, you know, they've found their symptoms to be lessening, they've found that they're able to be more stable, they're able to reduce some of their medications. So this idea that the transfer of a healthy gut biome to an unhealthy gut biome and the changes that happen there, it's just incredible. Like I find that fascinating. Um, And when it comes to dogs, obviously that's, you know, it must be another player in the market as well in terms Mm -hmm. of being able to transfer some of that gut health you know into our own bodies and it's being able to change us and make us more healthy. I think it's I honestly I think this world is fascinating. It's like remember that episode we did with Dr. Penelope who's a yeah.
0: colorectal surgeon and I was she said this. we are the most happy in our industry because we're exposed to so much um poo. And I think there's something in it and I think that environmental factors and lifestyle factors are mm. affecting our gut health more than we realize. And a sign that it is out of whack is by what ends up on our skin, in the toilet, how our mental health is, and we don't take it into consideration that it's lifestyle factors. It's Grace here and I want to quickly interrupt the episode because I have a very important question to ask you. Have you been struggling with gas, bloating, constipation or diarrhoea? Do you struggle with low immunity, bad skin or breakouts, moodiness and irritability? If you're listening to this and nodding yes to any of these questions, your gut could be the culprit. Did you know significant changes in gut health can occur just three days after making a dietary change? And it takes 21 days for a healthy gut to create a new lining. That's why we've created our new 21-day gut rebalance program. Learn to use food to heal your body and boost your health. Early bird special now on. Sign up and save 35% off today. Now let's get back into the episode. If you've been searching for a natural, holistic approach to improving your gut health and well-being, this is the episode for you. I don't know about you listeners, but I am forever wondering what is impacting my skin, my hormones, my mental health. And today, Rachel Larson is joining us in the studio to share how every area of our body is linked to the gut. Rachel, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. The reason for why you started this line of work is so interesting. Could you please share this story with our listeners?
2: Yeah, so... I come from a background of also having a whole lot of issues with my health that were seemingly unfixable, which turns out you can fix it. It's just I had to go through about a 10, 12, 15 year journey of kind of getting moved around um, the medical system, which I was working through and not really finding any answers and not really, I guess, being seen as this holistic, complex individual, which we all are. Um, So I was pretty frustrated with that journey. And in my search to figure out, well, how do I help myself? I came across naturopathy and nutrition and really delved into that space. And my love for the gut, because I had so many, I guess, links to my health with my gut issue, that kind of definitely fueled my Particular interest in that, but also my family. I've got a really big genetic predisposition for an inflammatory bowel disease called ulcerative colitis. So I was potentially in the genetic firing line for something like that to develop in me. Um, and I was thinking, okay, well, that could happen at some point. How do I prevent that? But also I wanted to help them as well in their journey. So it's it's like for most people, you find things in life that you become passionate about things, I guess, in the quest to kind of help yourself. And I'm yeah. I'm one of those stories as
0: well. No, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, But um, what is that condition? I've never heard
2: of it before. Ulcerative colitis. So um, it's a type of inflammatory bowel disease. So under the umbrella of inflammatory bowel disease, you have Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And they're both types of autoimmune gut conditions and they're they're kind of put under that same inflammatory bowel disease, yeah, as I said, umbrella, but they're slightly different in presentation. But for ulcerative colitis, it's essentially where in your colon, um, so in in your large intestine, and for a lot of people, it's at the very end part of their colon, um, they have these ulcers on their gut lining. So, Um, really painful and it can present in a whole lot of symptoms like constipation, diarrhea, bloody stools, mucousy stools. And when you've got such an inflammatory condition, you can then develop nutritional deficiencies and unexplained weight loss and those types of things. So yeah, I've got uh, two sisters and my dad has that. And I was like, right, well, they aren't great odds. And I needed to kind of figure out, you know, how I can help them, but also make sure that in the future that potentially didn't get triggered and then I had to start dealing with that as well. So, so can it be fixed through nutrition or is it yeah. something they live with? It It's always going to be present to a degree and mm-hmm. I think the term of like remission and management is, you know, we can never really cure it um, but we can't, I guess, in some ways like even if you were to kind of get to a place of remission, you'd always have to somewhat manage it. you couldn't just go out partying and eating what you wanted and thinking it couldn't come back so you can absolutely decrease your condition to the point of having no symptoms which is great you can also if you're on medication work with nutrition and holistic you know therapies in a way to help manage your condition better on the medication but also to the point where perhaps you can start to decrease your medication so there's heaps you can do but I definitely think framing it a way of more like how do I get into remission
0: and then how do I maintain that is um, more accurate than curing, so to speak. It's mm. that old saying, isn't it? Food is medicine. I was actually reading an um, article and it said it was about reforestation, and how we need to protect it because so many medicines come initially yeah. from plants. Totally. And we don't think of it like that.
2: No, we think it was, um, yeah, bought like made up in a lab, which I guess, you know, that is what happens in the end. But even our um the very common aspirin. It's got components in it that are from a herb that we use called willow bark or salix alba. So like this salicylic acid, this um the one of the active components in I think it's salicylic acid. Anyway, one of the active components in aspirin is really like a plant-derived, plant-inspired medicine. So yeah, our plants were the original medicine, and I guess now they're kind of being used as inspiration. And like there's exploration into a lot of exotic plants, thinking, I guess people in drug companies, like, how do we make this a drug? Mm. But, you know, they go into the plants first, you know, which is incredible.
0: No, absolutely. (laughs) And I also think, I don't know if it's because I'm getting a bit older and I'm more concerned about it, but I Mm. think there's this natural wave to naturopathy and natural health people are looking at the more broader picture and like lifestyle factors rather than just honing in on the one medication do you yeah, find that
2: i think so and i also think that comes with just this amazing level of information while it can be really confusing and overwhelming. There's lots of conversations out there talking about, for example, the impacts of sleep and stress on our health. Whereas before it was like, if you're sad, take an antidepressant where Mm. people are like, well, hang on a second. I am actually, I'm not sleeping. I'm not seeing my friends. I'm really stressed at work. Maybe that has something to do with my mental health, for example. So I think people are like, yeah, I think there's more awareness around it. But perhaps, again, there's just that critical thinking that maybe we develop as we get a bit older. Medications, they've got a time and place, but it's about that larger thinking about like, is that the only thing that I can do? Or do I actually need that? Or is it, you know, do I need sunlight and friendship? Or maybe I do need to go on it, but I still really need to invest in the sun and my friends and exercising those things as well. So yeah, like it's amazing how the simple things can make such a big
0: difference. The gut can show us all these interesting things that are happening with our body because it's linked to so many areas yeah. of our body. Yeah. So, bloating, for example, can be linked to so many things. What is the first go-to to help fix it?
2: Yeah, sure. So, it's it's definitely going to be a slightly long-winded answer to that, and I and I like to explain it, I guess in stages you can certainly look at I guess getting a diagnosis of something you know it could be something like SIBO it could be like an inflammatory bowel disease it could be celiac disease and you can kind of go down that path and then figure that out but like I guess what you can do like literally right now as in as of this moment you don't need to see a doctor is I'd be asking someone what are you doing in terms of are you eating food when you're in a stress response? Like are you really calm and present eating food or are you rushing around multitasking? So I think like what we can do from a day to day is think about am I eating food that's allowing my body to focus on digestion or am I actually focusing on this email? And that's kind of where the, I guess, the blood and the messaging will be going to. It will be going to your brain. It won't be going to your gut. So what am I doing from a nervous system perspective? Also, what am I doing on a digestive perspective? Like, uh, am I having too much water with my food? Am I chewing my food properly? Like, am I supporting digestion? Um, am I eating too late in the day? Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking really answering that question, saying like, what can, what can you make connections with from a lifestyle perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, because in the end, you can get the diagnosis and everything as well, which for some people is important. But from a you actually do need to do look at your lifestyle as well. So, are you stressed? Are you chewing your food? Are you eating too late? From an actual what are you eating perspective, I think that's a really hard question to answer because. It's different for everybody. And I think I like to reframe that in terms of the food is causing my bloating to this, this food is triggering my bloating. So we acknowledge that there's a difference between the food is the issue versus the food's the trigger. For many people, that can be high fiber foods and really healthy foods, um, oh. which is why I don't like to say, get off those foods, like don't have the high fiber foods really without that personalized practitioner support. And the reason for that, I guess, why high fiber foods, which again sounds you're just like, well, I thought I was doing, you know, mm. the right thing by eating more good foods. It can often be that there's a bit of over fermentation in the gut as a result of bacterial or fungal imbalances, or that there is digestive enzyme or acid imbalances, which makes sometimes those harder high fiber foods harder to break down. You have excess fermentation that occurs and then you experience it as bloating. So I guess like I could say to someone, get off a high fiber food right now, Mm. but it wouldn't really be um, the safe thing to be suggesting, which is why I say to people, first things first, what are you doing with a lifestyle perspective um, that may be adding to your bloating? So as I said, I know that's kind of like the longest of long answers, um, but trying to cover everything just to say like why it's not a simple answer. It's not as simple as, Eat this or don't eat that. Yeah, it it is just like it is so so complex.
0: And there's so many misconceptions, isn't there? Like I have friends who's like, "Oh, dairy makes me bloated. Or gluten makes me bloated. I need to be gluten free." But you you're not gluten free. You just think that carbohydrates are associated with being bloated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also like, have they always been that way? Because
2: there's this difference as well between I guess developing these reactions to food versus it being an innate issue with you. So if you are a celiac, Or if you have like an inbuilt issue with uh, creating the lactase enzyme that breaks down lactose, then yeah, maybe this is a lifelong issue for you. But I think for the majority of people that over time or maybe even suddenly say, I can't tolerate these foods anymore, that is a classic sign that something has changed in your body and it's not the food because you were eating it without any issue for Mm. many years before something has happened now. And that's where the real question is. And I know that's kind of where people are like, well, I can't find the answers to really understand what that is, but that's where we need to look holistically at things. It's potentially not going to be a, a very neat little diagnosis. It's not going to be, you have got condition X, but when we're looking at a holistically, you can have issues with how your body creates these enzymes. If you've If you're stressed, if you're eating a diet that has um, got lots of processed foods, if you've got a history of antibiotics. So like all of these things we have to make, um, be considering when we're thinking about why is it that all of a sudden I can't
0: tolerate these foods anymore? Like that's kind of what we need to be looking at. So you know how you can do a skin test (laughs) and see reactions? Is there a food test you can do for your gut?
2: Yeah, so there's different types of reactions to food. You can be have food allergies, which, you know, skin testing is a type of testing which they look at these immune uh, allergy responses to it called IgE responses. You can have food sensitivity tests um, that are looking at a different type of immune response in the gut. But for most people that are like, I can't have onions, garlic, lactose, those type of things, we're looking at intolerances where the difference is that there's not that immune response so much to it. It's more that there's an inability somewhere else in the body that's not allowing you to break down and metabolise it properly, which is where I talk about the enzymes and the bacteria more so. So in terms of that, there are tests. Um, breath tests are often used to look at intolerances and people might be familiar with lactose breath tests, fructose breath tests. What people may not know is that there's a type of breath test called a SIBO breath test, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's We're not looking for a particular sugar that you're breaking down. We're looking for a particular conditional imbalance in the gut, which is where your small intestine has got too much bacteria. But these are types of breath testing where in that breath sample or with that breath Breath exhale that you give and they collect and they assess, they are looking for signs of over fermentation. So, you can look for if there's specific foods that you're intolerant to, and breath testing is probably the best one to do that. But then there's other forms of testing, which, from a holistic naturopathic sense, might give me information about how your body's digesting food that's not necessarily from a diagnostic perspective. Like, I can see that there's a leaky gut, or I can see there's too much or too little of different bacteria and in my head I know that like we're potentially looking at issues with how we digest if that makes sense there's there's many ways we can look at look into it it just really depends what you're looking at if it's allergy-based Um, or intolerance based. And then from there, you've still got options to look at too. So
0: you mentioned leaky gut. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that is? Because I hear it floating around, but I'm not actually sure what that condition is. So leaky gut is when
2: we're talking about the lining of our gut. So we're really talking about majority, our small intestine, um, but also a little bit of our large intestine. But our small intestine is this like five to six meter long, you know, tube that goes through our gut and the wall of our small intestine, it's only one cell thick. So it's actually like, literally like single cells beside each other create this barrier, which if we think about the thickness of our hair, a cell is thinner than that. So it's like, there's like, oh, wow. yeah, it's like, it is the <laughs> smallest of small barriers, but it has like the most important function of keeping things inside the digestive lumen or kind of on the other side of that which is in our body which is where like all the blood vessels and the lymphatic system and that kind of stuff are so when we're talking about a leaky gut this single cell wall is too leaky we're allowing things to pass through either side in a way that it shouldn't be so our gut wall is wanting to open and close a healthy person will have an opening and closing gut wall because we want to let nutrients in the body for example, but for different reasons, and this can be things like excessive alcohol, antibiotics, stress, different gut infections, these kind of gates in our gut wall stay too open. And then what we have is this really confused immune system because our body's trying to protect us from, you know, what's going through our gut, but it's getting constant, constant exposure from that. So it becomes really inflamed. There's a lot of immune dysfunction because this wall is letting too much stuff come through. Wow, so can you strengthen the wall? Definitely. So you can heal a leaky gut, um, and I also say this because there's so many formulas out there that are like, "This is a gut healing formula." And yes, there is definitely evidence around different nutrients uh, showing, you know, increased um, wall integrity. Increase, you know, which is another word for essentially like, you know, the-, the wall is healed. But if we're not actually understanding what caused the leaky gut, you could have those powders and tablets you know forever in a day and it won't make as much difference as what it would if you were to really understand what what caused the leaky gut in the first place so it has to be a pronged approach otherwise you're not going to get the results you want because i guess this this invisible fire is still burning you know
0: and there's just not enough powders and healing stuff that can really make a difference Something else that um, we hear a lot of is IBS. IBS has been linked to other conditions. Could you explain to our listeners, what is it? Irritable
2: bowel syndrome is this functional gut issue. And it's it's kind of like more of a, well, yeah, irritable bowel syndrome. It's more like a syndrome than a condition. So it's basically for many people, it's when you have, the diagnosis of it is often The absence of other issues, so if they find you have celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease or gastritis, they'll often say, all right, well, you've got these symptoms and you fall into this criteria, um, this diagnostic criteria of they call the Rome 4 criteria. Um, That's kind of how they'll diagnose IBS, to be like, you don't have these issues but you have these symptoms, you know, X amount of times a week, of X amount frequency. Like that's kind of how they diagnose it. So for many people... It doesn't really kind of explain their symptoms though. They're just being told you've got this. Um, but, and, and so that can be a little bit confusing, but, or a little bit frustrating because it's like, all right, well, now what? Um, and I should also say that you can have, even though often for the diagnosis, they'll say you don't have any of the other conditions, therefore you have IBS, but you can have celiac disease and IBS at the same time. Like you can. Um, but what causes IBS? There's, um, bacteria changes there is a heightened and um, changed nervous system uh, post-infectious you know changes so let's say you have gastro or food poisoning that can kind of set changes into that where you all of a sudden become more hypersensitive you have bloating your bowels are doing different things you're not tolerant to food anymore
0: um, yeah, there's a there's a number of causes underneath that. Once you get IBS, you have it for a long time or is it more like a flu and you can cure it in like a, a so, week? <laughs> How <does> it work? <laughs> So for most people, unfortunately, it tends to be this
2: like stamp of this is your life forever
0: and it's
2: not Um, if we have we're working on the underlying causes of IBS we can also get it into a place of really really good management to the point where you don't have symptoms but as always if you let things slide if you're not taking care of yourself it could just as easily come back and there's something interesting about IBS where I sometimes challenge the the label of IBS for some of my patients because there's this condition I think I briefly spoke about with the food testing called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth SIBO and this is also one of the causes of IBS where we've got too much bacteria in the small intestine which is not we want want it we we don't want it to be and the symptom profile of SIBO is almost identical to IBS. Now, I question whether for people if it is IBS versus if it's SIBO because a lot of the practitioners and areas of health, um, as in like the doctors and the gastroenterologists that are giving that diagnosis and that label, they're not necessarily aware of SIBO. So I think for some people they might be getting that label um, perhaps with not actually having everything explored. And there was this great study showing that, Uh, it was with IBS participants and up to 78% of people with IBS had SIBO. The people that didn't have IBS, 40% of those people had SIBO. So whether you had IBS or not, Mm -hmm. um, there was still like a huge percentage of people that had this SIBO thing. And that this is kind of what the number one cause of bloating I see in my clinic is it's SIBO. It's this, Bacteria is in the wrong place in the gut, and it's and it causes the same symptoms as IBS. But everyone's getting told it's IBS, and they're not being told how to manage it properly. But I always think let's explore if SIBO is a part of that. And if it's not, we still need to work on everything else that can contribute to an IBS picture, like the nervous system dysfunction. You know, any inflammation or bacteria changes in the gut. So. Yeah, there's a lot you can do about it, but there's not a lot of education around that. Most people are told go on a low FODMAP diet and good luck. And that's sad because there's so much more available out there.
0: So d- can a low FODMAP diet help with areas of the gut health though? It can in a sense, it can reduce
2: symptoms. So it's not it's not ideal and it's, I never advocate being on a, lo- a low, low FODMAP diet long term but it is definitely proven to be really helpful with symptom relief. It's just for many people um, and there's no judgment in, in this, they're like, this is the only thing that works. And so then they stay on it because they haven't been told what else to do. You know, Mm. that's, that's all that, that's all they know. So why the hell would they go back to eating all these foods that cause them symptoms if they feel better on it? But the long-term issue for that is you, you miss out on so many foods that, feed your microbiome your large microbiome which is you know is so important for our overall health and well-being Um, and not only that I mean you're missing out on so many great healthy foods there's a lot of anxiety that comes around that um, in terms of trying to socialize and having to adhere to a really restrictive diet which emits a lot of delicious things like garlic and onion and legumes and broccoli like you know how do you go out and eat without really thinking about your food so there's yeah there's definitely long-term consequences but I completely understand if someone was to need to be on that long-term because they haven't been told any other option
0: and plus garlic broccoli and onion is like my go-to every week
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes and so it should be because we've been told these foods are so good healthy for your gut you know eat them you'll feel better and you will but you won't, you know, like you'll be like, mm. yes, I feel good for eating healthier but my stomach is really bloated um, and it's often, yeah, because there's this imbalance of bacteria or there's this insufficient enzyme pitch or there's a leaky gut. Like there's lots of reasons for it and, uh, yeah, admitting those foods long term, yeah, like it's hard, it's
0: unenjoyable, you know, it's not what we want for anyone. When, when you talk about enzymes and the bacteria, mm. So they're obviously helping our digestion move and flow. So what are the symptoms if there's an imbalance? Kind of anything that we've been speaking about. So
2: an imbalance when we're talking about SIBO would be there's bacteria in the wrong place, Mm -hmm. but because it really shouldn't be an area that is high bacterial load, we want it to be the small intestine, an area where we want food to be broken down and absorbed. We don't want this action of fermentation to happen, which happens in the large intestine. So an imbalance is probably in the wrong place in the small intestine, in the large intestine, it's of different species, Um, you know, we've got too much and too little of different ones. But the symptoms of an imbalance, whether it be location or type, um, could be literally any health condition. Like, I know that sounds oh, kind of like, but, you know, so, but like if you have eczema, if you have acne, if you have bloating, if you have hormonal imbalances, like any and all these things could have a gut base to it and it is just because of the extensive roles the gut has in the body it is literally the system we need to survive i mean we need all of our systems to survive but this one breaks down our food and we absorb it from that and we've got our bacteria there and our immune system there's like 70 percent of our immune system located in and around our gut like there is just there are so many links there which is why this trunk of the tree If there's anything funky going on in the trunk, you're going to have different symptoms um, in the different branches of the tree showing up, which is why
0: it sounds like a crazy thing to say it's like any symptom could have a gut link to it. But that's kind of why. As you said, it's the trunk of the tree that keeps us all balanced and healthy. Yeah.
2: I would say that and the nervous system, like they share Mm -hmm. the trunk because even when we're working with gut healing and um, gut issues, If that nervous system is always in a place of fight, flight, freeze, stress, overwhelm, anxiety, it's really hard to gain traction with our gut, but also our gut has such an influence on our nervous system as well. So I think those two share the trunk.
0: Um, pretty evenly. So they share the trunk, but mm-hmm. um, are they entwined together? Because we always hear how the gut and the brain are affecting. Yeah. So there is definitely. So there's also that kind of saying that
2: the, the gut is your second brain. And it is because for a number of reasons, but your gut has its own nervous system called the enteric nervous system. So there's like huge kind of signaling and like nerve endings all in around our gut. And that's kind of One of the things when people have a hypersensitive gut where they're like, oh, I'm in a lot of pain or like, you know, things are, you know, they're really sensitive to things. That's a nervous system component to that. But there's also big connections between your gut and this nerve called the vagus nerve, Um, a really big, important nerve that kind of connects lots of different, you know, areas of the body to your brain. And it's this bidirectional nerve um, that is taking signals from the gut up and the brain down. And when we're in that place of fight, flight, freeze, that nervous system gets pretty, um, I, I guess, yeah, it struggles to work properly. And when we're in this rest and digest place, hence the word digest in that um, saying, um, everything works a lot better. So there's so many ways they're connected.
0: Um, like they they are constantly talking to each other. And one thing that comes across our community pages a lot is ways to strengthen your vagus nerve. Right, yes. So how is that connected to the gut health? Yeah, so uh, with a stronger vagus
2: nerve, the signaling can be a lot more, intentional and it can be a lot less i should say like erratic like if you've got a toned vagus nerve everything that's going like you're telling your brain the right things and your brain is telling your gut the right things when you've got a strengthened vagus nerve as well also functions like motility in the gut so the signaling to make the gut move like movement in the gut is better um the signaling to tell your acids and enzymes to like go to work that's working better so everything is just working
0: better when you've when you've got a better communication you mentioned gut health can show up as a hormonal imbalance yeah can our gut health affect our hormone imbalance and fertility or is that a <laughs> big stretch no
2: de- definitely because you know depending on you know it, again it's like I'll talk about maybe some of the ways that they're connected and then specific conditions and issues will have their own intricate connection. But, for example, um, our gut being a really big elimination system, um, if we are experiencing constipation and let's say that our the hormones that our, our ovaries and, and so on have created, they have, we're finished with them, they've done the job, they have to be removed through the body going by the liver into the gut and out the bowel, if we've got constipation, um, that can really inhibit that elimination process so so we can have, like, increased reabsorption of those hormones and toxins. There's different enzymes that our bacteria can make that also can um, negatively affect the, that removal process. So it's kind of like it increases that reabsorption into the... Um, into circulation, any hormones where body's trying to get rid of, but also just going back to the one of the functions we think about with our gut is nutritional absorption. So, if we're not in um, absorbing nutrients properly, nutrients are needed for everything. They're needed for egg health, they're needed for sperm health, they're needed for healthy um, hormone production. If we don't have these, like the foundation of our body, which is our nutrients, Um, there, then nothing works. And that could include fertility as well.
0: For our listeners who are listening to this podcast, they're feeling a bit crappy. Mm -hmm. They're feeling a bit bloated. They've got breakouts on their skin. What is the first point of call? Where should they go? What should they do as their first step? I always say, look, having a chat
2: to your GP, just just to see what they can offer you. Like it's, I really feel like you just, have a have a, a, a team care approach. Explore your options. Now, if you're one of those people that are like, I am done with that, that's when you may be needing to think, no one has seen me holistically. I've got, I've got acne, I've got bad skin, and I've got an autoimmune condition, and yet I'm seeing three different specialists and three different people to be, you know, I've got really isolated treatment plans. So if you're one of those people that are like, I feel like my health is connected, no one's seeing me connected. You probably need to go to someone who is about to view you holistically. That could be an acupuncturist. It could be a naturopath like myself. It could be someone else that works in that Chinese medicine, whatever it is, that sees those holistically. Because I think that's where the biggest, what is it? The biggest, I guess, like crack in the system is, is that we're seeing things as separate, but they're Mm. actually together. So that would be my first thing is go to your GP. Are there any really easy quote unquote, things that they can pick up on um, that might make a difference. And if you're like, no one's seeing me as this holistic person, you have to go to a modality that is going to see you in that way. It's a hard one because there's so much we can do. I just think about, Mm. you know, thinking back to my journey and that would have been a piece of advice that would have saved me a decade of stuff i didn't need to go through i remember going to specialists having to drive three hours to the nearest specialist because yeah. i lived in a country town to be told you're you're normal everything's perfect and i was like why would i like that i just could not be further from that in terms of being a good picture of health mm-hmm. and you know I'm lucky in hindsight I could see that I was going down a very specialist path versus a holistic path. But, yeah, um, that would have, if someone had said to me, go to a naturopath year one of feeling the way I felt, man, I would would not have gone
0: through a lot of stuff. (laughs) Well, that's why we created this podcast, right, because we want women to have as much education as possible but also advocate for themselves because we're finding Mm. in our community a lot of women they're speaking up, they're doing all this, and then they're saying, no, there's nothing wrong with you. So yeah. research, go look for the answers, go mm-hmm. find the people, the right people, as you said, yeah. the team to yeah. help you. Yeah, and,
2: like, it is, I know, like, the saying, "Trust your gut can sometimes feel a bit, like, ironic when we're talking about gut health issues, <laughs> but, like, I truly advocate if you're like, something is wrong with me, this isn't right, I don't think I need to be on this you know, long-term restrictive diet or no, I don't think IBS is my whole picture. You're probably right. Like, in fact, you are right. You know, if it's not helping in a way that is sustainable um, and in a way that it's addressing the root cause, then it's not the treatment. Something has been missed As, as frustrating as it is. And as I said, like, I know what it's like to have plenty of terrible appointments with people like you, you keep going and you will find the answer.
0: Rachel, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I'm going to take this opportunity to share that Rachel will be joining our expert panel in our new Gut Rebalance program. I'll put all the links for this and everything we discussed today in the show notes below.
2: To this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.